Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today and, as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Bruce M. Firestone, has an incredibly long list of accomplishments and hence a pretty extensive pile. But here are just a few of the highlights. Bruce is best known as an entrepreneur and the founder of NHL hockey team, the Ottawa Senators, along with their home arena, the Canadian Tire Centre, and the Ottawa Senators Foundation, which is a children's charity. He's well known for a lot of things, including being an author, a professor, a coach, a consultant, a mentor, a real estate broker, Ottawa Business Journal columnist, a novelist, and he's definitely become what some would call a bit of a urban legend. Professor Bruce is popular as a keynote speaker, as he has a positive focus on creating opportunities. And along with all of that, he advises counties, towns, and cities, as well as economic development agencies on how to develop effective and impactful communities based on the principle that nothing is sustainable unless it is also economically sustainable. He has his PhD in urban economics from the Australian National University in Canberra and his Masters of Engineering Science from the University of New South Wales in Sydney, as well as his civil engineering degree from McGill University in Montreal. His twin mottos are making the impossible possible and fihage for every home a job. Bruce got his start in business in his late 20s with just a $10,000 check for a down payment and just a yard of guts in. What he did with that was in nine years, he took a business from 350,000 in revenue to $120 million in revenue. Then Bruce and his group 
put it all on the line, risking not only their time, but tens of millions of dollars to bring the senators back to Ottawa. The resulting success changed the city of Ottawa and brought a sense of pride to really all of Canada at the time when the country was going through some tough times, a tough economic recession, and they just lost two existing NHL teams in Quebec and in Winnipeg. Bruce has started, coached, kicked off 500 enterprises, as well as taught or studied at McGill University, Laval University, Harvard University, University of Western Ontario, and the list goes on. He was among the first group in Australia to fly a hang glider and live to talk about it. He's traveled, worked in Canada, Australia, the United States, Sri Lanka, New Zealand, India, Sweden, and many other nations. And guess what? He's here to chat with me today and dig into some of his success, his attitude towards success, and uh, what it takes to get it done. Listen in. Bruce Firestone, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Patrick, glad to be here. Gosh, it took a little bit of uh, rounding up to get here. We uh, we it took a long time for us to align our calendars, and then uh, yeah. you, know, you know, it's a funny thing about calendars, isn't it? Yep. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, people like uh, you and me, we we're not going to just sit at home and and watch TV. You know, my dad before he passed away, uh, Patrick said, you know, people should never retire. What are you going to do? Like I said, sit around and and watch TV. That that's terrible. And uh, and I hate golf, so I'm so bad at it. So you know. I'm going to continue doing what I do until St. Peter calls me home. Well, yeah, you know, when I tell people, they misunderstand me. Sometimes I say I'm on, you know, I'm on the Freedom 95 plan. And, and uh, you know, the Freedom 95 plan for me is is that as long as I'm loving what, what I do, which I absolutely love what I do, I just don't ever, ever see myself stopping doing well, this. You know, and, and I think today a lot of people are, are on the Freedom 95 plan. You've heard this joke before, right? I figured I can retire about five years after I die. <laughs> yeah. That's us. That's us. Come on, brother. So... Bruce, you're such an interesting cat. You know, like you've uh, you've done you've gone through a lot of shit. You've done a lot of stuff, like really, really cool. And the story is fascinating. And um, I want to work backwards through it. We're, we're, we've got some time here today, so I, I really want to dig into uh, not only what you're doing now, but kind of the journey to get here. Right. And uh, let's let's start a little bit current to give people a you know, a context, you know, the, the podcast goes pretty global. It's certainly uh, national in North America, but we get across the pond and, and do all sorts of things. So, you know, Bruce Firestone, when somebody asks you what you do, what, what is it, what is your answer generally these days? Well, you know, I, I retired from uh, the University of Ottawa where I was a joint appointment of the Telfer School of Management and the Faculty of Engineering. You know, I was teaching entrepreneurship, and um, before that, I was teaching architecture, and, you know, I've done a lot of different things. I've been a real estate developer. I've been a hockey guy. Um, you know, I, I've done a lot of different things in my career, but when I when I actually was getting ready to leave the university, I, I went out and got myself some life coaching because I wasn't sure what to do next, although I did say before the podcast began that my dad, before he passed, said, you know, people should never retire. They should keep change what they do, but keep keep going. And so so I thought, what am I going to do next? And I, I actually went and and I got myself a life coach and she really helped me, uh, you know, sort of explore what it is uh, that I wanted to do. And she told me the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. And uh, I think she got that from Mark Twain. So it's not original, but 
uh, you know, it's a pretty important statement. And so I, I wasn't sure what I was going to do next. And I was really searching for that. And she helped me find my why, which is I've become a real estate investment and business coach. I know something about uh, real estate. You know, I've done lots of, I think I've built about 1,200 homes. I've done dozens of office buildings and shopping plazas. I'm best known as the founder of the Ottawa Center. So I built a hockey team and an arena to the Canadian Tire Center in Ottawa. So I've done a lot of different things, but I really needed some help to find my next uh, uh, stage of life. And, and uh, after a few months, she said, you know, you could do some coaching, Bruce, uh, perhaps. And, and I said, well, I don't really want to do life coaching. You know, I'm not qualified to do that. But she said, you know, something about real estate and real estate investment and, and business. And I said, well, yeah, I do. And, and then I thought about it for a couple of days and I really liked it. And, and for somebody like me, once I like an idea and I think that maybe I'm passionate about it, maybe I have some skills that apply, uh, you know, the next day I put up my, uh, you know, I put up a sign, you know, a website saying uh, Prof. Bruce, you know, uh, real estate investment and business coach, not knowing really if anybody would want any uh, coaching from me. But it just exploded on me. And it turned out, Patrick, and you know this anyway, that a lot of people today, you know, in, in the hundreds of thousands, millions probably, are not really happy with their 401ks in the United States or their RRSPs or tax-free savings accounts, their life insurance, their mutual funds. You know, you've seen those commercials on TV. How come my fees are so high and my returns are so low? And so when I put up my 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 website, you know, I, I really uh, was pleased, uh, um, you know, I, to develop a, a, a practice. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not going to say it. You're going to say it. You know, your, your philosophy is smile. Can you say it for me what it is? No, not smile. Simple. Oh, simple. Okay, well. Yeah. Sig right. significant, significantly impact many people's lives every day. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so, so, so I, I, I found through this uh, this coaching practice of mine, I could uh, I could really contact and and, and change uh, you know lives by the hundreds, and uh, I think um, largely for the better. And and then more recently, Patrick, what I did was I uh, started teaching others to do what I do. Uh, because, you know, I, I am 68 years of age, so, you know, there's a limit to what I can do. Uh, you know, I can take on 8, 10, 12 maybe uh, uh, coaching clients in a month. But I've now taught, uh, I think I'm at 11 uh, Firestone Institute co-coaches who are imbued with the Firestone methodology, at least I hope so. And they're now spreading the gospel. So I've got 11 disciples. I think that's one more than Jesus had, or did he have 12? <laughs> Somewhere in there, did he have 12? Hey. I, you're asking the wrong guy. I think, okay, sorry I think, about it, was, I think it was 12. I, I do know that the prophet sure Mohammed was came out of the, the desert of Arabia with four. <laughs> so I'm, I'm definitely ahead. So, you know, but let's go back to, uh, you know, the, the life coach that said to you, you know, you have to find your why. So you didn't know it at the time, but has this, the whole coaching program and, and helping others and supporting each other's and their successes, that turned out to be your why? It did. And, and um, you know, let me just give you an example, if, if it's okay with you. Yeah, please. Uh, you know, uh, when I was just starting out, I had two uh, people come to see me, um, uh, Roy and Tammy. Uh, Roy was, I think, in his late 50s, and Tammy, his spouse, was in her late 40s. And they worked for the same home builder, and they got laid off on the same day. So they came to see me, and they said, we'd like some coaching. I said, great, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm your guy. And uh, they, I, so we, we talked of, of maybe uh, doing some coaching. and uh, But their real intention was to find other jobs. So I said, I really, I'm not here to help you find another job. That I probably am not qualified to do, so good luck. And uh, so about six months later, maybe seven months later, they came back to me and they said uh, Roy had put in over 500 applications, 
and hadn't had a single interview. And Tammy had found a job in a bank as a teller for $17 an hour, but they were running out of money. They still had teenagers at home. They had to, you know, support their family and, and they were really not happy. So they came back and then I started doing some real estate investment coaching with them. And I said, you know, let's find what your skills are and let's find out what your personal balance sheet looks like. And then let's look at it and see what kind of opportunities we can find. And it turned out, Patrick, they had three rural lots in the middle of nowhere, really, uh, that they, they owned, but they were just trying to sell them. And, and it, it, in this part of the world, which is Ontario, where I live, you know, rural lots are a little harder to sell than, say, downtown Vancouver. <laughs> and so, so they, they had them for sale, I think, for $65,000 for each lot, and then they reduced it to $60,000, and they reduced it finally, I think, to fifty. No, they hadn't sold it. And I said, well, what's your plan if you sell them? And they said, well, I guess we're just going to eat the money. And I said, well, after that, what is your plan? They didn't know. So I said, could you take them off the market? And what we did was we went to another modular home um, provider, and, and Roy, who's a wonderful project manager, offered to work for them for four months for free. But in return for which, he would get one of their modular homes that they had decommissioned and just been sitting on their back lot for a couple of years. And... Um, and they, what Roy and Tammy did was they put a footing and foundation on one of the lots, put a well and septic out there, put a little two-bedroom apartment in that um, in the footing and foundation, plunked the three-bedroom home, and, and the modular home uh, maker was so guilty about uh, abusing uh, Roy's uh, time, they even transported there and put it on the foundation for him for free. Roy's wonderfully fixed up the home. Tammy leased it so they had income from the basement apartment, income from the three-bedroom home on top. And then they got it appraised, and they got it appraised for $450,000, and they had about $160,000 in costs of cash. So they were able to remortgage it and pull out almost $200,000 in the cash, tax-free. You know, there's no taxes, just financing. And, uh, and they said, well, this is like a miracle. Then they did three more, and then they did four more. And Tammy calls me up just before Christmas in 2019, and she says, Bruce, do you want to know how many we're at? I said, sure. Well, she said, yes. I said, and she said, we're on number 24. Wow. So they have 48 uh, uh, tenants now in these uh, kind of duplexes that they've been creating. And um, and I said, Tammy, are you still working at the bank? She said, are you kidding? Yeah, <laughs> of course. Well, why would I be at the bank? That's why would crazy. I be at the bank making 17 bucks an hour? Yeah, <laughs> totally. You're 400,000 between the two of them a year. And, um, and they're really having so much fun. They're never going to quit. You know, it's interesting, I, you know, is, is that there's a couple parts to that. I mean, you know, there's some creativity and experience that you and Roy bring to the brought to the table in that case. Right. But in, in in this case, Tammy and significant other, I mean, they're 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 also being very coachable. You know, they're they're willing to listen. And yeah. and, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it right now because but I want to talk to you about because you're in the you know, you're doing this coaching You've been around the block. You're very accomplished. You've been through the ups and downs of business and, and life. And when at 68 years old, you're still taking it on. And I think that's cool. But I do want to talk about coachability because, you know, in, yeah. you know, I'm 61, so I'm far younger, by the way. Well, Patrick, I have to tell you, I would have put you at 51. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, to, just to make, just to justify the fact that I am what I am. My, when I turned 49, my mother calls me up and she said, Bruce, you're older than me now. I said, Mom, how did that happen? She said, hockey years are two for one, so you're really 98. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> That's great. So I want to talk about that coachability because in my life, you know, of course, rain is is really. I mean, it, it rain no. is at the very foundation. As much as we're a research company and education company, we are a coaching company. I mean, really, ultimately, that's what we do. We just don't do it one on one, face to face, in that in, in that traditional context of coaching. However. We do recognize often where people just get in their way because they're not coachable. Now, I'm just going to hold everybody in suspense. I don't want to go there just yet. I want to go back a little bit for you. And even before Ottawa Senators, I want to talk a little bit about your your growing up. I mean, you go to school. You get very educated. You you have a job. You're, you're what, a professor? Or you, you, you get your PhD anyways, right? Right. So you've got this thing called school. Now, where did the entrepreneurial spirit kick in for you, and, and why did that start to, to unfold and to happen? So I, I have found, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with the same concept, that entrepreneurship tends to run in families, and it certainly mm-hmm. runs in my family. Oh, it does. Uh, my dad was a professor of economics at the University of Ottawa, but he was also an entrepreneur. And entrepreneurs, I think, in, in, at least on my side of the family, goes back a long, long way. Um, and, and, but but having said that, you know, uh, I uh, I was living and working in Australia for many many years and uh, really enjoying it. You know, my wife and I we have five kids and and uh, I was living in, in in Sydney, Australia, uh, which is frankly a little little bit warmer than Ottawa. And <laughs> only so, only slightly, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so in 1983, when I was doing my PhD, uh, my dad came to see me uh, and he said, Bruce. Uh, I'm, I'm involved in business in Ottawa, and it's not going very well. I said, I'm sorry to hear that, Jack. Um, what's up? And he said, well, could you come back to Ottawa just for six months and help me out? So I asked my wife, do you mind if I go back and help, you know, pops out? And, and she said, okay. And, you know, here I am 35 years later. I'm still here. So I came back to Ottawa, and I found that my father, this is a true story, that my father and his partner had invested in roller disco rings. Do you even know what they are, Patrick? Oh, yeah, 100%. I actually, in in the 80s, I or late 70s, whatever it was, early 80s, I actually, I went there. I, like, I skated. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I did not know what they were. I don't think there were any roller disco rings in Australia. Well, in in Alberta, they were, I mean, they were were a thing for six six minutes. Yeah, so I I think my dad, with his partner, owned five or six of the door things. And and so I I said, oh, I'll go and see what it's all about. So I went to this place, and and I I put on roller skates, uh, which are really not very stable, and for a few minutes, you 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 listen to Donna Summer and the you know they got the disco ball, sure, disco lights going, and you you sort of skate in a circle, and then the music stops, and you skate in the other direction. So after about an hour, I take these these roller skates off, and uh, the next day I call up uh, my dad's partner. I say, uh, you know, uh, uh, I'll call him Larry. That's not his real name. I said, Larry, you know, I think we're going to trade our half of the operating company. Uh, for your half of the real estate. Oh, he said, Bruce, you're just a young guy. You don't know what you're doing. This is a cash cow. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm good. You hold on to the cash cow. We'll hold on to the real estate because I don't really know anything about running, uh, you know, roller disco rigs. So uh, he said, well, I'm taking advantage. I said, that, that's okay. So so we traded uh, his half of the real estate for our half of the operating company. And he went on his merry way with this cash cow of his. 18 months later, he went bankrupt. Uh, so I ended up, or uh, we ended up with five or six of these giant, you know, warehouses that were like an acre each, you know, like 45,000 square feet under one roof, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, empty. Um, but it turned out it was the beginning of the tech movement in Ottawa. Uh, you know, companies like Mitel were getting going, and these guys, there was a concept then, a management concept called management by wandering around. And so what that meant was uh, all of these tech companies wanted to be on one level where they could have their developers, they could have their marketing people, their admin people, and, and their HR people all on one level. And, you know, if you were a manager, you could wander around and manage, I guess. Uh, so within a few weeks or months, I had retrofit them for... Uh, you know, for these tech companies, and I had five or six of these huge little, uh, huge warehouses uh, full of really great tenants, and that sort of got me going. Okay, so how old were you then? Were you early 30s? I, I would have been, we just had our first boy, and uh, I would have been, I think, 27 or 28. Right. So, I mean, that's a pretty sophisticated slash savvy move, right? Like, you know, being able to recognize the business opportunity. Right. You know, it's like what what triggered that for you? Was that something? Was that an instinctual thing? Was that a book you read? Was that a guidance no, you got? I don't think there I don't think there are many books other than the ones I've written mm -hmm. that are any good for uh, entrepreneurs. <laughs> I mean, most of the you know, I, I'm an expert in self-capitalization or uh, bootstrap capital. And I, I wrote an article for one of these, you know, uh, uh, you know, important uh, journals on self-capitalization, and I got a call from a Harvard University professor who gave me heck. He said, you don't know anything about capitalization. And I said, well, actually, I, I did read your book. It was like three or 400 page textbook. And the only mention of self-capitalization or bootstrap was was this in his Harvard, this Harvard professor book, which is that uh, self-capitalization is when a rich entrepreneur capitalizes an enterprise by himself. Well, that's not being an entrepreneur. Those are just called rich dudes with money. And most entrepreneurs have ideas and uh, luck, and they have skill, and they have courage, um, and they're creative, but they don't necessarily have a lot of money. So self-capitalization is something I'm really uh, expert at. And, and I, I just had a sense that, that, that if I don't have the skills to run a business, in this, in this case, control of disco rings, then I better not be involved in it. Yeah. And, and so the reason I dig into that a little bit, Bruce, is in, and, and I know I'm counting on memory and all the rest of it, but there's a there's a part of it that I'm sure that developed for you. And, you know, when we consider those that have gone before us and have had the success that you've had and and that's a significant move. Right. Like it's now in somewhere in there, you know, it was we'll call it instinctual. OK, let's just call it instinctual. It was just like you got this like. I don't do operational stuff. Real estate sounds cool. You you did some kind of thing in your head. You listened to your gut. Do you remember? The reason I ask this is because listeners and I, you, you've run into this with coaching too. Tell me how, tell me how, tell me how. And listen, there's just some, there's just some shit we get done that it isn't about that. It's about how you feel about it. Now, is, is that something that you, and, and I want to just shine a light on it. Was you, were you conscious of it, do you think then? And then you, you grew into it even more? Or, or was it just shit-ass luck and then you figured stuff out as you go along? Well, I mean, there's always luck involved, Patrick. But the other thing that, that I think goes into it is some strategic thinking. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I can't tell you how many times uh, I try and drill down with my coaching class to find out what they're really passionate about and what they're really good at, what their skills can be applied to. And, and, and if you come along and you say, hey, listen, I got this great idea. I'm going to start, you know, a social media company. I'm going to take on Facebook. 
And then I asked them, well, what's your tech budget? And they say $10,000. And uh, what's your background? Well, I studied English literature, you know, and they're not a, a, a techie. They're not a developer. Uh, I think, you know, well, you know, that's probably not going to work. So I think it's really important to get some coaching. And, and when I was a young fellow, I did have a coach, by the way. Uh, his name was Murray Thompson. And um, Murray was a, you know, you know, I thought he was really old. He was probably 55. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, Murray was, uh, you know, he, 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 he was somebody I could bounce ideas off. And that really helps. You know, have you ever had an argument with your wife, uh, you know, and you thought of a really good comeback line and then you used it a week later and it falls really flat? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we've all done that. And, and so what I have found is, is part of the reason why you might want to have a life coach, which I did or you want to have a real estate investment and business coach, um, is that when you verbalize things, you tend to, you know, um, you, you, it, the ideas tend to get better. You know, I've, I'm a big fan. I, I think I've always had a coach in my life, you know, at different periods for long periods of time, then a break, and then, a, you know, maybe a, a different, like I've had two or three different, different coaches. But, um, you know, I think it's such an important part of, anybody's journey when they really have some serious goals, you know, and, and, and I mean, the, the proof is, you know, I, you know, you look at, you know, the best, best athletes, the best performers, the best speakers, every single one of them have had some kind of coaching and, and most of the most successful business guys I know have had coaching as well. So going back to the entrepreneurial side of it, did, was that kind of your really first foray into it at oh, that time? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. When I was at the Australian National University, getting my PhD in urban economics, I, I was going to become a professor, you know, full time. And, and that, you know, that was my future. Uh, and then, you know, uh, life interfered. Was that urban economics background? Was that part of the whole real estate journey that you eventually yeah, went I on, mean, I suppose? You know, I, I did a bachelor of civil engineering degree at McGill University in Montreal. And then I did a master's of traffic and transportation engineering at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. And then uh, I did my PhD at the Australian National University in Canberra. So, so I, I, I definitely had a desire to do research and to do teaching, but the entrepreneurship thing definitely came later. Now, what was it like for you growing up when you were young? When you were a young man, did you have a bunch of siblings? What was your what was your kind of childhood? Yeah. Did you good parents and and life was good? Or I had a very difficult upbringing. I mean, uh, you know, a very difficult home environment. And I, I'm not sure I should go into too much detail, but I did have a brother and, and, and two sisters, um, obviously a mother and a father. Uh, but, uh, you know, my parents were divorced and, um, and, and the home environment was, uh, was, was very difficult. Um, and I, I left home at, at 15 and never went back. You know, I think that is part of sometimes what creates our character, our resilience, our, you know, understanding yeah, adversity, you know? And so the reason I like to look at backgrounds, because it's, you know, in the, in the context of seemingly ordinary, achieving extraordinary, we look at the journey, we look at the path, you know, people who only know Bruce as Bruce Firestone today at, you know, 68 years old or, or, you know, 55 when, you know, you're with Ottawa, all the things that were going on there, you know, it could look like a, a blessed life. It could look like, well, he's probably a trust funder. There's always those assessments and those, those judgments that people make for those who are very accomplished. And, and, and it's also a story that people get into is like, well, my, my background was shitty and my, my, my dad was this and my mom was that there's some story 
that now at 40 years old, they're still living into that story and using it as a reason not to succeed. Yeah, uh, that, that's a really good point, Patrick. Um, you know, I, I tell uh, lots of the people that I work with and coach uh, that this is your life and to blame your parents or your grandparents or your wife or your husband or your kids or your employer for what's happened to you. No, that's not going to work. And certainly uh, I don't coach people who, who spend time in the past. Uh, you know, what I say when bad things happen to good people, and it does happen to all of us, I think, uh, is that you have three days. The first day you can be mad. The second day you can be sad. But the third day, I know you're into fitness and so am I. Third day you get up, um, get a little bit of exercise and get on with the rest of your life and, and just move move forward. I, I certainly don't spend any of my time in the past. And if you hadn't asked before, I certainly wouldn't have mentioned anything. Yeah, but but so let me ask you this, Bruce. Is that by training or you, or you just were kind of always that way, you know, because I, yeah, I'm, I'm sometimes coaching people to say, okay, get out of your old story. You've got today. Exactly. The past is the past. And, and yes, uh, it could be traumatic. And, but, yeah. you know, and I don't want to make people wrong for living into that emotional challenge right. that they faced, but gosh, you know, we have to move on, bring the good stuff with us because right. every every shitty story, you look at the shitty story that you have as a kid growing up and I'll guarantee you when you look back at it and you'll go, holy Christ, am I ever good? I'm ever glad that I went through what I went through as a kid growing up because it made me who I am today. Do you yeah, agree with that? I think so. Yeah, well, I, I think that for me, uh, the fact that I was involved in sports, you know, I played hockey for many years and I played when I was in Australia, played for the, uh, Australian National University soccer team. And I think team sports is really important for, for, for kids growing up and even as you become into your 20s and 30s uh, forever, really. But team sports is really important because it teaches you to work together, uh, teaches you how to put round pegs and round holes and square pegs and square holes for the best result. And, and in addition to that, you learn how to lose, you learn how to win, and there's really no substitute for that. It's one of the reasons why I think this movement today, over the last few decades anyway, to bring more women into team sports is really important. You know, I have three beautiful daughters and two sons, and my sons were involved in hockey and all kinds of other uh, sports. But the girls tended to do things that were individualistic, like they went into dance, and I really wanted them to do team sports. It's another reason why I am uh, in favor, for example, of the WNBA, the Women's the National Basketball yeah. Association, and why I think the NHL should, in, in fact, create a WNHL, a, a women's league. We, we don't have a women's league, and you know I have lots of young uh, women who are playing hockey in their teens and their in their in their twenties, you know, who who have nowhere to go with their skills. And I think this is a real shame. And uh, let's just look at it from a bottom line point of view, Patrick. Um, where do your fans, future fans, come from? They come from people who played the game. Yes. And, you know, obviously a lot of guys have played hockey and at some at fairly high levels, uh, but why not give women the same opportunity? That's where your next uh, set of, uh, of growth is going to come from. I'm not sure the NHL agrees with me, but I think we should have a WNHL. Yeah, and I agree. And and so my own background is, and you, you may or may have not have done a little bit of research on me, but so I owned a company called Professional Skate Service. It's still in Edmonton. I've had that retail business for 35 years. It was very boutique-ish, wow. and, and, and we still have it to this day. And my wife, Stephanie, worked for the Oilers as a skating coach for a number of years, and then St. Wow. Louis Blues. And, you know, she's, I think there's going to be a female coach uh, uh, this weekend at the Super Bowl. 
Oh, that would be, but see, oh, they early so thought, like, that's, that doesn't surprise me. You know, hockey, I think. To coach in the Super Bowl. I'm not exactly sure which, I can't remember which team she's on. It's probably San Francisco, you know, it's California. Yeah, well, you know, it's, I think hockey is so traditional. It's going it, to, that's a, that's a glass ceiling, ceiling that's going to be tough to break. I mean, Stephanie did a great job in, and was really, really well respected in the NHL. And, and, you know, Glenn Sather back at the time really helped her get through that. And there's been a number of people, you know, uh, Larry Plo and a, a number of people that have really supported her when she was doing that gig. Now she's going on to her third Olympics in, in ice dance with, as a coach, as a mental performance yeah. coach. But the, the point of all of that is, is, you know, just, a little bit on the female sports because I can get into that conversation really, really quickly. You know, uh, Haley Wickenheiser went and, and was working with Toronto. I don't even know if she still is or not. It's but if she is, it's like really, really quiet, which it should be a big deal to your point because I'm a huge yeah. fan of yes, yeah. like, get empower women, get them up there, get them doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Anyways, we digress. Let's go back yeah. to uh, let's go back to Bruce Firestone. So. Tell me a little bit about now you you you've got these warehouses you've started the real estate game you're playing that a little bit now let's let's kind of jump ahead and and go how the hell did the Ottawa Senators come into play like where did you even get like I know a little bit about the story about the collapse of Ottawa and then you stepping in but yeah. how did you what what led up to that like why were you even in that conversation Yeah well yeah it's a, it's a story Yeah um, please <laughs> So, so uh, it, 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 when I started off in real estate, you know, uh, you know, I had these warehouses, which I turned into, uh, you know, office space for tech companies. And I started building lots of office buildings and shopping classes, and we built dozens of subdivisions and stuff like that. But something happened in the 1980s, and uh, you, you're old enough, I think, to remember uh, that interest rates went to, I think, 18 or 19%. Oh, I remember it well. And... Um, and, and so in, by the end, or, yeah, by the end of the 1980s, um, our company was competing with banks and uh, 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 real estate investment trusts and publicly traded real estate uh, companies and pension funds, who even then had a cost of capital of around 2%. And we were paying 13%, 15% on their loans. You know, Patrick, I can beat Usain Bolt in the 100-meter race. I've timed it. I, I'm faster than Usain as long as I... Uh, Started at the 90 meter mark. <laughs> yeah, good point. And, and so, what I was doing uh, in the 80s was I was competing with Usain Bull, only we were starting at zero together. These pension funds with their one or two percent cost of capital, and me with my 12, 13, 14, it, it, there's no way. Yeah. So, I thought, you know, uh, in terms of pivoting, I thought I got to do something different. And uh, so, I thought, I thought of two ideas back then. This would have been, I think, 87 to 88. Uh, one of the ideas was to build uh, a mini storage company, kind of like, uh, you know, you, you know, a mini storage. Sure, is, you of know, course. Yeah. Throw the garage door up. You yeah. put your crap in there, close it, put your lock on. It was a pretty simple business. And and I was pretty sure that, you know, real estate investment trusts and pension funds and banks and insurance companies weren't going to go into that business. So I, I had two uh, co-founders of the Ottawa Centers, one, uh, both young fellows at the time, Cyril Leader and Randy Sexton. And when we were playing a you know hockey one just rec recreational hockey by that time i said to the boys uh, you know hang back for a few minutes i've got a couple of ideas and i said i told them my first idea is let's let's pivot let's not build any more office buildings we're getting killed uh, let's build some of these mini storage businesses and we can take this across canada the united states we could become the next public storage company uh, you know worth a billion dollars and they said oh really okay mm -hmm. and then I said, but i did have another idea how about we buy 600 acres of land on the major highway in Ottawa, 
hopefully not very expensive, go out and, and get an NHL expansion franchise, because I thought the league was getting ready to expand and maybe Ottawa was big enough for a franchise. I'll put an NHL caliber arena and an expansion franchise in the middle of this 600 acres, uh, I guess a square mile of land, and drive the value up and make a billion dollars that way. And the boys really liked that because we were all really into hockey. And, you know, they were in their late 20s. I was in my mid to late 30s by that point. And so we decided to do that. That's a big vision. Yeah. Okay. How does that show up for you? Have you got really padded bank accounts at that time? Are, you know, well, we, where were doing, we were doing very well, Patrick. Uh, we were, you know, we had built a lot of uh, real estate. Uh, our portfolio was expanding. Uh, we did a lot of land development. You know, there weren't that many people in the land development business. So we would put roads, water mains and sewers in the ground and we would sell lots to, to home builders. You know, most home builders, you know, they like to hammer and so on, but they don't like to deal with the city. I'm sure that's just as, as true in Edmonton or, or Victoria or Vancouver or San Francisco as it is in Ottawa. And, uh, uh, and and so we were making, you know, quite quite good money yeah, sure. at that time. And we had, you know, some tens of millions of dollars in cash and near cash uh, and, uh, and a really uh, expanding and thriving business, except in the office space business where we were getting killed. Um, and, and so I, I thought we could probably get... Um, uh, get an NHL franchise. And, and Cyril Leader, who's a CA, a chartered accountant by trade, said, well, how much do you think it'll cost, Bruce? And we thought it'll be about $34 million, or maybe it was $32 million because that's what NBA franchises were going for at the time. But it turned out to be $50 million, which is what we paid. So what's the difference, you know, Bruce, when you think back about it? You know, I, you know, I really want to tap into that kind of that, that mentality because, if you look at what you took on, you know, the Ottawa centers and we'll finish that story. And, you know, you're, you're thinking big, you got some successful, you know, you, you got lots of success going on. And, and so you're, you're also accustomed to maybe thinking big, what's the psychology behind it? So if you're now that you've been a coach, if you look back, what's the difference between you and somebody else who talks about it, but never pulls it off? What's the difference between you who do tens of millions of dollars and somebody who does, you know, a few million dollars. What do you think that is? Well, a couple of things, you know, there's probably almost as much work in doing a, a $1 million project as there is in doing a $10 million project or a $100 million project. So if you're going to put the work in, you know, maybe you could think a little bit bigger. And, you know, I coach quite a few people in the United States, in California and Arizona and other states. And my American clients have no problem with the concept uh, of, uh, of this. I, I don't know if you can see it on the screen here. ACT, yeah. Yeah, ACT. ACT. Um, <laughs> this, these are Prof Bruce uh, bracelets. So they're actually branded. Yeah. You know, oops, I don't know if you can see it. They're called the Ad Prof Bruce Power Circle. There you go. And they have, all, they have four words on them. You know, one, <laughs> you've got to act yeah. if you want to change your life. Yeah. Uh, when you find your why, to everything else, say no. Yeah. And, um, you should only have people in your life. I don't know if I'm doing a very good job of this. You should only have people in your life that you verify. verify. Yeah. You know, don't have people in your life that you don't like and don't trust. And if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. Uh, so I give all my coaching clients these uh, uh, Prof Bruce uh, bracelets. My, my, my daughters call them Brucelets. <laughs> uh, you got to love your daughters, right? You know, and, and I tell people, you know, uh, 
Uh, look at them, use them, and, and they do. You're going to see them on airplanes. Just you, you know, people I coach. I've got one client in Melbourne. I've got a couple in Stockholm. I, I snail mail them these brace bracelets, and um, and I tell people, you know, you've, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. So you know, if you're going to put the work in, um, you, you know, and you know what your why is, and you you you've got a good coach, hopefully, uh, you know, have have confidence in yourself and give it a go. This is so, you know, I love this conversation for a couple of reasons. You know, number one is my mantra myself is when I'm having those dark thoughts or those negative thoughts. We all thoughts, have them. We all have them. And I, and, I, and, I, and I think that's such an important conversation. You know, is you're very accomplished. You've done all the stuff. You've, you've made all sorts of mistakes, but you've had lots of wins. But you still have the dark thoughts. It's a normal thing that happens in our head. You know, monkey brain, chatter, whatever you want to call it, it yeah. just happens. Yeah. But I always come back to one thing, and you said it, which is believe in yourself. Absolutely. You know, you have to have that. I believe in myself. I believe in myself. And it's not just, you know, it's not positive self-talk in that context. Yeah. It's really owning it and knowing that you're going to overcome whatever adversity that you yeah. face. And, 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 you know, I, 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 maybe I can't do anything else, but I can talk. And, and I've given keynotes, uh, you know, all over the all over the world. And I like talking and I like doing it and I'm happy to, to do it. But, you know, I, I still get I've done hundreds, maybe even thousands of them. And I still get nervous. And I've been in front of audiences from 20 people to 12,000 live. And, you know, and, and, and I literally a few minutes before I go on, I, uh, I look at my my bracelet and I tap on my word, the word believe a couple of times, you know, yeah. and I say, I know what I'm, I'm talking about. People are here because they want to hear from me. Uh, you know, I probably know more about the subject than the people who are in the audience, you know, have confidence. And then I sort of, you know, screw up my confidence and I, I try and go out there and do a good job for, for the audience. And, and even though, you know, I've done lots of this kind of work, uh, I, I, I still think we do have uh, dark thoughts. I, I have them too. But, you know, if, if there's 365 days a year, you know, I might have one or two down days a year. But some of the people that, that you know, are close to me might might have many more. And that's an issue. Yeah. And and, and it is. And, and on, the, on the other side of that bracelet, and I just totally forgot the word, which is but it's really to have somebody, you know, support you in in what it is that you're doing. And yeah, I, I would do almost anything legal to get people I don't like and don't trust out of my life. Like if you have people around you in, in your work life and in your personal life, in your home life uh, that you like and trust, your life is going to be much better. When I was a teacher, you know, I used to say the number one thing in life uh, is trust. You know, you trust your customers to pay you. They trust you to provide them with good value. Uh, there's a lot of things that are trust. You know, we have a wonderful country in Canada, people are very peaceful largely and, and very trustworthy largely. And it's not because we have a police force. I mean, we have wonderful police forces, uh, certainly in Ottawa, very fine police force in my opinion. But it's not. we don't obey the laws because we're afraid of the police. We obey the, obey the laws because we have all entered into a covenant with each other, which is to treat each other with respect and to be trustworthy and to live up to our word. If you know some countries out there, and I could mention a few, I won't, I won't, but I could, uh, where they have a different culture and not based on trust, it is very difficult to do business in those countries. 
rain has been around, you know, for 28 years. So we've, you know, we're national. We got, you know, we've, we've worked with over 151,000 real estate investors. They've done $5.4 billion in transactions and that's self-reported, you know, so it's, it's, we know it's bigger than that. The point is this, is that the biggest message that, you know, I'm so grounded in right now. And to, to your point of your bracelet is that, yeah, you know, tell me how, teach me a strategy, teach me a tactic. We do that. That's that's our thing, right? Like it yeah. that that part of it is really great. And the economic research we do. I mean, our research has gone to a whole new level the past couple of years. Our VP of yeah. research, Jennifer Hunt, is just killing it. And yeah. and that's cool. But here's the secret sauce of rain. Culture, community, environment. When you put yourself in a community of like-minded people with a culture of collaborations, it creates an environment that supports you in achieving those goals. That's the secret sauce. And nobody has done that. And anybody walking into the, you know, they try and duplicate it. And they, you know, they're the so-called social media experts. And that drives me crazy. That's a whole different conversation. But it's, you know, the free meetups, which is always at the other end of it is a hidden agenda called, oh, and I just happen to have a piece of real estate that fits Fits the calculation I just taught you, but here's the thing about rain members and and love us or hate us and there's, everybody's got a view of the world. But I'll tell you what, they pay to play. They're in that room. They pay to be there. But guess what? Because of that, the quality of people that come yeah. into that room room generally are awesome, and they create an amazing community. Yeah, you, you don't have to sell me on it. I, I I gave a keynote for rain in Toronto. Yeah, and uh, I loved it, and I loved the, the people. I, I still communicate with them, and I just had so much fun doing it. It's listen, I'm not just because I'm on the call with you, but uh, I have many, many, many of the uh, people I coach who are rain members, and they are outstanding. Yeah, you know, we're gonna have to get you back on the stage, but that's another conversation. The point of it is, is that whether it's rain or or another organization. It goes back to what you've got. Like, who are you surrounding yourself with? Because people who are listening to this podcast are actually saying, how do I achieve that level of success? How do I, you know, get to where uh, uh, some one of, one of my guests are in achieving results? And so I always want to dig into a little bit of the psychology of a little, you know, what's the excuses we use? What is the, is there, is there a, you know, is there a, you know, is there a, a, a magic pill? You know, is it all just hard work? And so, for you, I think uh, what you shine a light on is is really being conscious of who you surround yourself with, yeah. and and that's important. Well, Warren Buffett said it the best. He said, other than the decision to start your business, whatever the business it is, real estate or anything else, the second most important decision is who you have on the bus with you. Yeah, so important. And okay, so in classic you know, Patrick style, we'll jump a little around a little bit, but I want to go back to the Ottawa Senators because you buy them for $50 million. Home run. Like, it's just awesome. That, okay, that's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. So what happened when you bought them? Well, you, you, you get them, you're, you're rocking and rolling, you're a big deal in Ottawa, you own an NHL team, you're hanging out with Bettman, you know, you're doing all the things that, you know, NHL franchise owners do. Looks pretty cool. So then what's going on? Well, um, I, I have to say there's an inside joke. You may not have heard it. I doubt it. Uh, inside joke with uh, other owners. The the uh, second happiest day of your business career is the day uh, you buy an NHL franchise. The happiest is the day you sell it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, and, and yeah, that's an inside joke, uh, but yeah. So what happened to us was uh, we, we had a wonderful experience with it. Uh, we, we won the franchise, you know, it was a, 
the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Ottawa Senators came, were born on the same day in December of 1990. They started playing in October of 1992. And, you know, the Senators were playing in the Civic Center, which is downtown Ottawa, which was the second smallest arena in the NHL, NHL about 12,000 seats. But we still made money with it, $9.6 million of earnings in our first year. So we were really happy with it. But, you know, our first year payroll was six and a half million Canadian dollars. And John Ziegler was president of the National Hockey League when I, um, it, Tampa and Ottawa came into the league. And then yep. he was soon after replaced by Gary Bettman, who came from the NBA. And under Gary's uh, commissioner, as he's the commissioner, they had this great idea, which was to, uh, to pay all players in U.S. dollars. Yeah. And when we were, you know, making money, we were paying uh, our players in Canadian dollars. And we had, as I said, for the big team and the, the little team, the American Hockey League team, six and a half million dollars was our total payroll in the two uh, teams. And, uh, uh, you know, not that many years later, it was about $86 million. Um, so when your, your payroll goes from six and a half million to $86 million, that really, really, uh, you know, damages the prospects of, of, of your business. You know, this is for the same employees. It's not that you've added more employees and you're making more widgets. It's the same amount of widgets and the same amount of employees. They're just making a whole heck of a lot more. And we found that very difficult. So the Canadian dollar, when we bought the, the, the team, was, I think, 89 or 90 cents U.S., and then it went down, I think, to 62 cents. Yeah. Um, and it, it just crippled the center. So in 2004, I think the Sens went bankrupt. I mean, it's it's uh, part of uh, you know it's part of the public record. <laughs> I guess what I I had a wonderful career that just went like this. But uh, unfortunately, at that point, it really changed. Um, and uh, when the, the team went went bankrupt, uh, uh, you know. Um, the $55.5 million of cash that I had personally put into the team, uh, I remember when the bankruptcy trustee rolled it up, uh, I, I think I got 3500 bucks. So I, I, I actually sat down with my wife, uh, you know, who I adore, and I said to her, Dawn is her name, I said, Dawn, um, you know, this is the time maybe if you were going to exit the marriage, this is probably, <laughs> no, I, sure, I was Sure, lots of pressure, I can't imagine. The, the time that you, you might want to do that. Uh, you know, she's a homemaker, and uh, and we have. And she was still. I told her, "You're still young enough and beautiful enough. You get another husband." I I had let her down. At least that's the way I felt. Mm -hmm. And um, and and I, I told her that this is maybe the time to 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 look for another husband who will do better. And uh, she told me right away, uh, "No, I'm not doing that. I'm sticking with you." And so life changed. And one of the things you said, Patrick, a little earlier was that sometimes adversity makes uh, a person stronger. And I have to say that, you know, my kids who, who really had pretty much everything that they wanted, you know, the, the, the schools, the private schools, you know, the trips and, you know, pretty much anything they wanted, you know, the nanny and all the other stuff, all of a sudden that all went away. And, um, and, uh, and there I was at age 54, uh, you know, I had to start my career over again. So I went back to school. I, I went back, uh, I, got, I think I did eight courses and eight exams to become a real estate broker, became a real estate investment and business coach, and I started to rebuild uh, my, my life. And I have to tell you, here we are 13 years later, you know, my kids are, you know, they're now all in their 20s or early 30s, and they're tougher uh, than I, I think they might have been otherwise, and they're all very successful, and I'm really proud of them. Now, 
back in that time when you were going through that, Bruce, um, lots, I'm sure, pretty dark times, um, lots of adversity. Um, yeah. How were you like mentally, Was were you conscious of how you were mentally addressing it? Were you literally waking up in the morning going, okay, you know, one foot in front of the other, how you show up? Were you really conscious of it at that time or, or were you carrying no, oh, the weight really so. heavy? Oh, very much so. Uh, you know, I, I think I worked uh, uh, every day uh, for uh, straight for 13 years. Uh, I think the only day I took off uh, in that 13 year period of my life was Christmas Day, uh, which my wife's a very family oriented person. She insisted on it. But I, I worked every day. You know, I owed money to uh, the, personally to the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce and Canada Revenue Agency. And banks and, and, and people like the IRS or CRA have this nasty habit of wanting to be repaid. And, uh, you know, so that was on me. And of course, I had my kids and my mother-in-law and my wife to support. So so I took it pretty seriously. But, uh, you know, I I've, um, I, I used to, I, I don't run anymore. Today I do yoga and I, you know, I, I ride my, my bike and, and do that, that kind of stuff. But, you know, back then I was really into the 10K races, you know. So I, I, um, I continued to run. And I think that was really important for me because... You go outside and you're in nature, uh, you know, you're running through pathways through trees and parks and stuff like that. And you're running five or 10 kilometers or even if you're just walking, uh, it's really, really helps. Every day you get up with a, an attitude and say, this is my life. I'm going to make the best of it. Now, at that time, so the auto, uh, the centers went uh, went bankrupt. Yeah. You you avoided declaring personal bankruptcy by just working your ass off and I'm assuming you negotiated some deals with the banks, et cetera, to get things covered. Yeah, I went, I went to CRA and CIBC and I said, you know, I owe you guys a lot of money. Um, but, uh, here's the deal. If you, um, if you don't charge me any interest, I'll repay it. But if you're going to uh, hit me with interest, you know, it's hopeless. <laughs> I'll never be able to repay you guys. And, and a Canada Revenue Agency is able, they're not able to forgive the principle that you owe them, but they are able to uh, give you some uh, flexibility on interest. They, 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 in fact, they waive the interest on the, the amount. And the CIBC, I, I have to say, did the same thing for me, which I'm very grateful for. Uh, because, you know, you can't, I don't think you can be a real estate broker. You can't get a security clearance. I do quite a bit of work for government departments if you've been bankrupt. So I didn't want to go bankrupt. But there's a couple of important things there that, to not step over because people get behind and they're in CRA, they get behind taxes, but because they maybe have a big number, whatever that number happens to be. But the reality yeah. of it is, is that CRA is is actually quite amicable to having a sit down and saying, okay, well, send me, you know, what do you got? Oh, yeah. Send me a couple hundred bucks a month, post-dated checks, whatever it is. If you're making a commitment, the thing that people do is they avoid that. They avoid those conversations yeah. with the bank or the CRA, and then it bites right. them in the ass. So you know? The only thing that happens uh, um, when when you ignore a problem is it gets worse. It does. And whoever said no news is good news is a complete fool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you owe some money to somebody, you call even if you can't pay them, you call them and you ask for some kind of a concession, perhaps, or an arrangement. And, you know, most people, I would think, uh, uh, you know, are, are certainly willing to at least discuss that with you. But if you ignore problems, the only thing that happens, they get worse. 
Yeah. And, and, and it does take courage. You know, there is, you know, there's lots of, you got to bust through that terror barrier, you know, that fear yeah. barrier, and you got to have those conversations because to your mm-hmm. point, it, it does get worse. So, and they're really uncomfortable conversations to have. There's no doubt about it. So what happened thereafter with the senators? Um, just, you know, where, where does, where does that, is that the end of your story? It's like, you know, I'm bankrupt. The Ottawa Senators are bankrupt. I move on. Is there another additional ending to that particular story, Bruce? Well, uh, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, uh, I have to give Commissioner Bettman uh, a lot of credit. Uh, mm-hmm. He he stepped in, um, and you know, I know he's not exactly uh, you know everybody's favorite uh, person in Canada yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you're a hockey fan, but. But, you know, he protected the Arizona Coyotes for, for many years. Uh, he protected the Ottawa Senators. And Gary and I share one thing in, in common, and that is that, that uh, franchises, whether it's uh, NHL or NBA or, or National Football League franchises, should not be on roller skates. And, um, you know, I don't think the Oakland Raiders should play in Las, Las Vegas. And I don't think the Baltimore Colts should play in Indianapolis. I do not think that. And when I was trying to get the uh, the Ottawa Senators, you know, the expansion franchise, I, I lived on a plane for a year and a half, and I went to visit all of the owners, including the ownership in, in Winnipeg at that time. And the owner there in, in Winnipeg um, asked me, Bruce, do you want a new one or a used one? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, would you like to buy the Jets and move them? And I said to him, his name was Barry Shankaro, I said, Mr. Shankaro, I do not want to buy the Winnipeg Jets. I came here to tell you that Ottawa, I think, deserves a franchise. We love NHL hockey, uh, you know, and, and that's where franchises should go, to places where, where NHL hockey is really adored and, and loved. Um, but I definitely don't want to start, uh, you know, my brand in Ottawa by disenfranchising all the Jets fans. So the answer is I want a new one. Mm. So when you think about the 13 years that you then went. Okay, so you've you've had success early on in real estate. You guys started to develop the stuff. You go off on a, you know, on I don't want to call it, you you go into a whole cool venture called, you know, hockey and and the Ottawa uh-huh. franchise. So now, okay, full stop. You get your ass handed to you and you're like, "Holy crap, I got to get back to work and, you know, really do it different." Did you then tap into, you know, those are the lessons learned, right? You're 54 years old. You're not a kid. You've figured shit out. You've got some stuff. You've got some skills. You've probably still got lots of great contacts. You got, you know, one thing for sure you got is an attitude, you know, that I got to get this done and I'm going to do whatever it takes. So you got work ethic. You don't roll up, you know, in the fetal position in bed and, and say, I can't pull this off. Although I'm sure there was days when you felt like that. Did you then go on the real estate journey in a, you know, what was, what did you take on in the real estate world that really kind of started to get you going and working that hard? Well, I, I think uh, that, that um, we're, we're doing some things in real estate um, that uh, are, are, are revolutionary. I, I, I use that word cautiously, but I, I do think that we're, we're doing things that uh, maybe no one else is doing uh, anywhere. Um, and, and one of the things when I got, you know, I, when I looked at my situation at age 54, I, I, I thought really what I know and what my skills are best suited to is real estate. So, so I wanted to do some real estate in, investing, but I, I had no money and, and, you know, but, uh, I, I wanted to build a, a, a portfolio. And one of the, 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 the problems with building a portfolio, whether you're just buying a few residential rentals or you're, 
buying a few shopping plus or you're building, you know, mini storage, whatever you're building, um, it is that uh, cap rates are, are too low. And, and I said to myself, if I'm ever, you know, I mean, if I were 34, maybe this wouldn't have occurred to me. But at 54, your runway is a lot shorter than it would be at 34. So I said, I have to find ways to get cap rates up. And I am opposed to buying uh, real estate, uh, you know, with uh, uh, cap rates that are like you see in Toronto or Vancouver or San Francisco or Los Angeles. You know, I have clients in Long Beach, California, before they started coaching with me, they were buying properties at one and a half to 1.9% cap rates, less than you could make if you just put your money in the bank. Um, and I said to them, when I started coaching them, I said, you, you guys have got to stop this. And they said, well, that's the market here. I said, I'm going to challenge you on that. So we have been inventing uh, new business models in real estate, which really look at the revenue side of the business. I have found, for example, that most people in the in, in this industry uh, are very conscious of, of cost. You know, if you have a property manager and you're paying him or her 6%, uh, you know, you say, can we get them for 5.5%? If you, uh, you know, if you've got four gas meters and you could get rid of one and you, you know, you'd pay less hookup fees to the utility, maybe you save, you know, $70 a month or something like that. That's important. I, I get that. Controlling costs are very important, but we have really uh, blown up uh, the revenue side of, of the business. And we call that process uh, Patrick Animation. Okay. Tell me more. Animation. Well, uh, you'll have to hire me as your coach. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing you, brother. Uh, I'm just teasing um, Well, I'll give you an example. Um, we introduced uh, some years ago now um, something we call the tech package. And so all of the apartments that uh, my clients and I own and rent uh, have come with a tech package. So the moment you move in, you've got a large screen TV already on the wall. There's Netflix, Showtime, HBO, uh, Spotify, if you know Spotify, it's a music service. Um, you know, all of the technology is there and it, it works from the moment you move in and you pay for that. It's one of the most profitable things we've done in real estate in at least 35 years. And um, when we initially started it, people would say, well, why, why would I buy a tech package from you? I can get it from Bell or TELUS or, you know, a Verizon, AT&T, you name it. And the reason for that is that if you're a new tenant um, and you're new in, in town, if I came to Vancouver and I had to organize all of the different stuff to, to make all this stuff work, it's going to take weeks, if not months, to get it done. And it costs quite a bit of money. And if you're unknown to these providers, they'll, they'll also charge you like a, a security deposit. Not sure it's legal, but they do. And, and so you come to any of our apartments and all the technology is there. And it has become a, a huge revenue generator for, for, for my clients and for my own holdings. And, you know, cap rates are moved up by doing these animations. One of them is the tech package. I'll give you another example. We don't do projects in real estate. Everybody talks about what's your next project. We don't do that. We talk about what is your business model. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, a business model, I've got two young fellows uh, who came to me uh, some years ago now uh, for some coaching, and I said, what's your business model? They said, well, we're going to do, you know, buy a duplex or something. Uh, that's not a business model, that's just a project. So what they, it turned out, what they were really interested in is buying homes that had uh, detached garages or workshops. Because I don't have to tell you today, um, everybody's got some kind of a gig. You know, I've got one lady in one of my buildings. She rents a workshop for me in the backyard, and she makes uh, wood pallet furniture. Who knew? 
I've got another one who uh, is a winemaker. One is an electrician. Another guy's an HVAC guy. So we have uh, uh, these guys have now focused on a portfolio that has you know one or two or three residential units and some uh, backyard workshops. They call them the young people call them maker spaces, but uh, you know back in my day it was called a workshop. So that's a business model, right? So if you're looking, you know, if you're a, uh, an HVAC guy, you're an electrician, you're a plumber, uh, you're a hobbyist of some sort, you could be a physiotherapist, a yoga practitioner, having the house and the, the workshop. And so that what these boys are doing is they're buying all these properties, adding these workshops. And I, by the way, they're doing it in Long Beach too. The last two properties that they, they bought what, uh, they got permission from uh, the city of Long Beach to add a couple of workshops uh, on these properties, and their cap rates are, are closing in on 6%, a lot better than one and a half. Now, have you crossed paths with Dave Steele or Janet LePage, uh, Western Wealth Capital? I, I can't say that I have, but okay. I can check. Okay, the reason I ask the question is because, you know, Dave Steele's on our stage often as well. He's based out of okay. Vancouver, Janet LePage as well, but they're they're all of their well I wouldn't say all of it a, a big part of it is uh is the work they do is in uh, in the US so they've they've tapped in big in Phoenix and then they've they've moved right. on and they're in Texas and stuff yeah. is your stuff in the US or is a combination of both Canada and the US well I have clients in, in the United States in Canada uh, as I said one in Melbourne and two in Stockholm so it's I'm an, an international uh, uh, you know whatever coach guide, supporter, investor. The, the reason I bring it up is because you make a really good point, which is the what is your business model? Now, the reason I bring Dave and Dave Steele and, and Janet LePage into the conversation is because they've been on my podcast. I know them. Very, very accomplished. I mean, uh, Janet LePage is 37 years old. They've now transacted $2 billion worth of real wow. estate, 15,000 units in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, she is, I think... the. She may be the biggest, or the, I know for sure the second largest uh, landlord in Phoenix, as an example. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's it's quite an accomplishment, isn't it? And, oh my gosh! And yeah. her and uh, and her and Dave Steele. Dave Steele's been in the industry. You know, he's my age. He's sixty something. He's been in the industry a long time. Uh, builder and developer. The reason I share this, it's, and, and this is so kind of cool, is that what they've done is they've they take buildings that are usually in distress. The owner, you know, one of the things they drive down the street, the signage is shit. They've got all these things. And what do they do? They go, we're going to go see if we can buy that place. They turn them around, but they have a business model. They have a business model. They go in and they tap in, they put parks out for the kids. They, you know, they put washer and dryer. Wow. They take cap rates through the fricking roof. You know, right. they're increasing rents 50, 60, and they're giving back to the community. It's an amazing story. If you listen to Janet LePage's, uh, if you get a chance to listen to her interview on this podcast, she's two, one, when she was uh, two years ago, she said, my goal is to hit a billion dollars, Patrick. And wow. two years later, it's two billion. And so yeah, I think you said two billion. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just such a fascinating story. And I, I get that Janet's a, a phenom and, and Dave's, a, you know, a really a wonderful yeah. guy and and so credible. And uh, is just right. But he he's they've done exactly what you just talked about. And I yeah, think it's, absolutely they, they built a model. It's not a project, they built a model. you know, and they, and that model works. Having said that, Patrick, I'm careful not to to talk about success at only at that level. Totally. Like I have over 400 of my clients 
uh, many of them on a much, much more modest program. And what I, when I started out in this coaching gig is I said, look, the minimum goal, if you come to me for coaching, I will coach you, but the minimum goal is to have 10 to $15,000 a month in independent income through real estate within 10 to 12, maybe 15 years. Mm -hmm. Because if you talk about somebody like Janet, who's worth a few billion dollars, yeah. it's very hard for most people to relate to that. So I, I have a couple of billionaire clients myself, but I have a lot of clients who are look at their TFSAs and they look at their mutual funds. Uh, maybe they invested in gold back in 2011 with $1,700 an ounce, and today it's about $1,500. You know, it's hard to double your money when you go from $1,700 to $1,500. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. That's why it's called the everyday millionaire, because right. here's the thing is, is that, you know, the Janet and the Daves and, and you know, they're, they're the kind of phenoms. And there's always that if you take a bell curve, they're at the other end of the scale. Right. And it's wonderful. But what they do is they share the concept of a business model. They share some of their tricks. And whether you're doing it with three or five or seven, ten doors or in this at that extreme, there's gold in the lessons that guys like yourself right. have developed, right? No, there's no question about it. I mean, that's why I think, like, I, I tell a lot of people when they're asking me about whether I would coach them or not, is I said, you know, because a lot of the people I've been coaching, I've been blessed, are, are outstanding young people. And when I say young people, they might be in their 20s or 30s, but they could eat. I, I have my oldest guy, I coach is 72, so it, it's the whole range. But these are outstanding people. And what I tell them is you'll probably get there on your own without me. You don't really need me as your coach, except you'll probably get there 10 years faster if I coach you. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, that's the thing. You, you exact, Well, you know, I, I guess that you almost think it should go unstated. But uh, you do have to tell them that. Yeah. <laughs> and then will they listen? You know? any clients. Yeah. Will they listen? You know, the, the investment in a coach and, you know, it's like, when we look at when we talk about rain, you know, a rain membership is so inexpensive relative to what you're doing in the world yeah, of real estate, yeah. and not yeah. only what you can make in the world of real estate, but what you can save in mistakes. And I, I agree with you. And look, I am a coach, so I'm, I'm entirely biased, and you're a coach too. Uh, but but uh, you know, if you look at the story that we started with, which was uh, Roy and Tammy, you know, the the amount that they invested in coaching is this amount, and what they're worth today is this amount. It's probably the highest return on investment uh, investment that they'll ever make. Yeah, and you know, and it goes back. We're going to circle back to this conversation. I think it's so important because here's the thing: two parts to it is that number one, people look at the cost as opposed to I'm going to invest in myself. Right. And the reason that they don't want to invest in themselves is why? Because they don't believe in themselves. That is right. You know, and then they don't trust themselves. That's you know, right. it, 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 it's just that. But if, if people could break through that, and I get fired up about it, but if people could break through that little block, it would be epic. Uh, it really makes a huge difference. So tell me something um, around your coaching a little bit, Bruce, is, you know, you're, you're, you're obviously not just a how-to coach, you know, uh, in, in behind all that, you know, you've talked about even went through you when you went through your tough time, having an awareness of who you're being, how you're showing up, uh, staying physical. Do you yourself now at 68 years old, you're very young, you're very youthful, you're, you're fired up about life. You love, you love being a contribution. So tell me a little bit about, do you have a, do you still stay physically active? Do you have a, are you, do you meditate? Do you, do you have, do you have a practice, a daily practice of, you know, writing in a journal or what are you reading these days and, and that kind of stuff? What is that for you? Okay. 
So um, yeah, if my wife were on this call, she would tell you, Patrick, I only have one addiction. It's not drugs or alcohol. <laughs> it's, it's writing. Mm. Uh, I think I'm a good writer. I, I don't know how many books I've, I've written. I, I kind of lost track, but lots. And I run a very, very active blog. I, I, uh, I think I've actually crossed the 100,000 uh, uh, readers, uh, individual readers on, on my blog. And it's a free resource. And um, and I, I like to write. And uh, so, you know, that is a really important uh, outlet for me. The other is, back in 2006, I hurt my back uh, shoveling snow. I mean, classic Canadian story. And I went through about six months of physio for it. And then my wife said to me, Bruce, uh, you want to come to yoga with me? And, and and she's been doing yoga since she was a girl. And, and I ignorantly said, well, yoga's for girls. And she looks at me, come and try it. So I did. And oh my God, it was hard. And, uh, and I was terrible. Uh, but I stuck with it. And so I do yoga uh, twice a week. Uh, sometimes three times a week if I can find the time, but twice a week anyway. And that has really helped me. You know, it helps with your breathing, your concentration, your core fitness, your flexibility. Um, and, and, and and here's here's the end of that story, Patrick. In, in 2007, I went to see Brian Murray, who was the general manager of the Ottawa Centers at the time. And I said, Brian, you know, this yoga thing I've been doing for the last year and a bit has really helped me. And I told him why. And I said, I think it would help NHL players, you know, think about core strength and breathing and concentration and healing and all the rest of that. And he said, really? You know, he thought, you know, that's a girly thing. I said, no, I don't think so. So I said, I'll, I'll ask Heather from Mountain Go Yoga, where I go, to come and, and, and do yoga for the boys. We'll try. She'll go to the dressing room and we'll, we'll give it a go. And they made it part of their program that year. And that was the year they went to the Stanley Cup final. So it's all on me. <laughs> well played, man. Well done. Good for you. We'll give you credit for that one. There you go. <laughs> it's a footnote to that story, Patrick. Sorry to interrupt you. No. But um, 26 out of the 31 NHL teams now have yoga as part of their, their training. Wow. And there's a certain, aside from the athleticism and all that, and 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 I'm a big believer in this, and I've done yoga lots over the years, and although I, I don't practice, I'm not that's not my thing these days, I did Bikram yoga, and I did Hatha, I, like I've done it all that way, and I loved it, but what it did bring me and made me very conscious of is my breath, my breathing, right. And, right. and it's such an important uh, awareness to have is around breathing and actually paying attention to your breathing because through stressful times and just through not paying attention, you can actually get very shallow. It's just not healthy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Early riser, late riser, you 5 a.m. guy. I'm a 5 a.m. guy often, you know, 5, 5.30. I've always been an early riser. It's kind of how I'm wired. Are you uh, hardwired for early rising? So almost all of the entrepreneurs I know, not all, but almost all of them are early risers. They, you know, I'm up at 4.30 and, uh, you know, I have tea and, you know, and I get a little bit of exercise. I do yoga or ride my bike or walk on my treadmill, do some light weights. And uh, usually by 5.30, uh, quarter to six, I'm at work. And the reason I do that is that it's quiet time. So if I have a very challenging assignment that needs a lot of creativity and mental effort, I got to do it in the morning. I'm, I'm wired exactly like you, Patrick. And even when I was a teenager, you know, my friends were all smoking weed and drinking. And I'd be out on the outdoor rink at 9 o'clock in the morning. What the heck? And my friends would finally show up at 1. You know, but I just, I'm about getting up and getting at it. But having said that, by 9 or 10 o'clock at night, you know, I, I'm done. I don't want to hear from you. 
Yeah, and I'm I'm very much that way. I, I I love my mornings. I own my mornings. Stephanie's not as early a riser as I am, so for me, that's my time. And I journal. I I have my coffee. I do. I work out. I do whatever I'm going to do. I'm yeah. a morning guy it's that way. Time, right? It is my time, and I need it. It's kind of sacred. And uh, I'm blessed because, uh, you know, Stephanie never, ever questions me on that and never has. The, the, the thing is, is that you own that time. Now, when we look at, I'm, I'm often faced with this, and, and I'd like to hear your view of it, Bruce, is that we're wired to support people. Like our, our being a contribution and right. where we gain our, our significance and our, our actual why is helping others to be successful, to, to find a place and to to achieve their vision. That's kind of how we're, we're wired. When you're looking at some of your clients or you're having these conversations, I, I know personally, I find, you know, somebody's always telling me how, tell me more, give me another strategy, give me another tactic. And I don't want to beat that to death because it's important. How important is the other side of the equation, Bruce, which is the, the mindset component of it, the personal development is is that personal development side of things? Has that been a part of your life as a, as a, an important part of your life, or is it just kind of a side hustle that you kind of pay attention to a little bit? So I I, I might answer it a little bit differently. Uh, I think that um, when you talk to people as much as I do, and not just recently, but over uh, now many years, mm-hmm. everybody has a secret dream. So if you have an employee and you ask her. Uh, where are you going to be in five years? Oh, I'm going to be working for Patrick and Rain, and I'm just going to be blowing it up. But if you could get past that, she has a secret dream that she won't tell you. Mm-hmm. Maybe she wants to start an organic farm uh, in California, you know, but she won't tell you that. Uh, that's her secret dream. So what I, I have found after talking to people for as many years as I have is that when you penetrate to the core of a person and you find out, that most people were happiest when they felt they were part of something bigger than themselves and that they had a place to stand and they knew where they stood with respect to other people in a pecking order, whether it's at the top of the pecking order, the middle of the pecking order, or even at the bottom of the pecking order. Some people are very happy there. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, once you get through all the, 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 the stuff that people think they're supposed to say, and you get to the real root of it, then you can then, I think, really do something for them as a coach. But if you if you just listen to what they've been told, since, maybe since they were little kids, oh, you got to say this to the teacher. you got to say this to the potential employer to get the job. You know, you got to say this to the potential client to get the gig, right? Yeah. If, if, if you just listen to that, you, you might not be doing your job as a coach. You have to try and break through that. And sometimes it, it, it doesn't happen in an hour. Yeah, it sure it sure doesn't because you know really people have the answers. You know we all have the answer. You know a, a great coach knows what questions to ask, and uh, and how to pay, take people and help them bust through their belief systems, their BS. You know and 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 really discover who they are and what they're trying to right. achieve. So. Bruce, we've uh, we're running out of time. Damn it! Oh my gosh, it's been a it's been a while now. Yeah, it has been a while. So we are running a little bit out of time. But you know, as we wind things down, I just like to do a couple of rapid fire questions, have a little bit of fun with it. You're going to have to make a second appearance, and given I'd love to do that. I mean, I'm not just saying it again because you're on the call with me, but I think the stuff that Rain is doing is great, and I could probably add one or two ideas. 
<laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna hang out next time. I'm gonna circle back and we're gonna get on a call. So, what's the current book you're reading? What is it? What is what's one of the kind of the things that you're digging into these days? From a book. Um, so, uh, I, I watched a Netflix documentary last night uh, called "The Biggest Little Farm," hmm. and uh, I read a book called "Backyard Homesteading." And what I would like to to design is I would like to design a subdivision where everyone's backyard was connected to everyone else's backyard and we would have rivers of uh, of grow local uh, inside embedded in that subdivision. I find people of all ages, of all walks of life are really, really interested in this. And uh, and I, I think it would be a great theme for a subdivision and uh, or a new community or even an established community. And uh, and I, I I think there's a real model in this, and so that is a passion of mine and a consuming interest. Dude, I'm so impressed by that. Like I, I love the fact that at 68 years old, you're still dreaming big and thinking well, Patrick, big. I love you know it. the difference between a young person and an old person is not the number of years; it's whether you're open to learning new things. Yeah, I know old 30 year olds, and I know young 90 year olds. Mm, that's such. A, I love that. That's a great point. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote that you, sometimes comes up for you? Well, um, do you remember that movie Titanic that uh, I think uh, the Canadian James Cameron made? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Dawson says to Rose DeWitt Decatur, make each day count. Yeah. I think I'm the only, I'm one of the few people that have never seen the movie Titanic, by the way. Well, that's I, I, I think it's a wonderful line. Yeah, it's a great line. Make each day count. And uh, I certainly endorse it. Yeah. Well, you, you, you certainly live it. If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the gates? Well, you know, it's interesting. Fairly recently, I actually wrote down a whole bucket list. You know, I said to myself... When I was 15, I left home, you know, as I said earlier, and I, I said, you know, at 15, I, I knew I wanted to, to have a better life than maybe my parents had had. You know, I wanted hopefully to have a better marriage. Uh, you know, I wanted to have, a, uh, you know, my kids to, to love me and I would love my kids and my wife. And I wanted, you know, to build a, a, a family. Um, and and I, I had some, you know, ideas as to what I wanted to achieve. And I went through them all. And I think, you know, I think I've done everything on the list now. Um, and, and of all those things that I, I, I think is most valuable to me and what I would hope St. Peter would say to me when I get there, if I get there, um, is is that, uh, you know, I... I really uh, helped uh, build a, a great family of, of my own. And I'm going to end, if you don't mind, with, with something that one of my, my mentors taught me. His name was Peter Patapi. He has passed away now. And Peter came from a very tough Italian uh, neighborhood. Uh, he started working as a sous chef uh, when he was uh, 12 years of age. So he had, uh, you know, he was very successful, but, you know, he came from a very difficult background. And uh, he came to give a lecture for me, or a guest lecture for me, and when I was at, I think it was at Carleton University at the time. And he said, uh, I think my priorities are as follows. He had six of them. Uh, one, take care of your business so your business can take care of your family, so your family can take care of you, so you don't become a burden on society. 
so you can take care of your fellow human being, so your fellow human being can take care of your business. It's a big circle. And one young lady put up her hand and said, Mr. Patavi, Mr. Patavi, surely you, you've got your priorities wrong. And he said, oh, yes, miss, what, what, where, where, where am I wrong? And she said, well, certainly your first priority should be to take care of your family, not your business. And he said, miss, do you know why most people get divorced? And she said, well, I guess you don't love them anymore. He said, no, that, that's not really it. The number one cause of divorce in Canada, the United States, is financial stress. If you have creditors calling you at three o'clock in the morning, when can we expect payment? That's a very unpleasant thing. Yeah. So people might say that I didn't love him anymore. I didn't love her anymore. And that's why they got divorced. But that's not the real reason. It's financial stress. So take care of your business first. So the business can take care of your family. So the family can take care of you. And what I said earlier, and I think Peter was right. I agree with that. You know, something that's a really, and I love the way that he said that. Room desk or your car, what do you clean first? Well, certainly not my car. Um, I uh, keep my office uh, very well organized, so definitely would be the office. Do you have a favorite movie? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I saw it when I was in L.A. as a young fellow. I was just passing through L.A., and I had to line up to get a ticket for three hours. And then after I got my ticket, they said, oh, by the way, that's the ticket not for the next show, but the show after that. And then I had to wait another hour or two to get in to see it. And it was a film called Alien. Oh, you hung out for Alien. Okay, so there's a new, there's some, there's been a couple of new versions of that. I think that... Uh, I'm talking about the original one. Yeah, ones. yeah, no, I get it, but and I just... What I liked about Alien, what I really liked about it was it was new to me, was instead of having uh, Sigourney Weaver played yeah. Ripley in the film, instead of having, you know, beautiful women screaming, help me, help me, and yeah. some handsome young fellow coming and rescuing yeah, yeah. you, she walked tall and carried a big stick. And yeah, I yeah. like that. I think, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, she kicked ass. Do you have a favorite tune? You know, I do. Uh, 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 you know, I, I knew Tom Petty. Uh, uh, he's a, an artist from California. Yeah, love Tom. And, um, and he, he had a tune that we adopted when we were trying to bring back the Ottawa Senators. Uh, his tune was Don't Back Down. Mm -hmm. And we said to ourselves, uh, the boys and I, as we campaigned through a very difficult period to get an NHL team, that there's no friggin' way we were ever going to back down. That was our theme song for the Bring Back the Senators campaign. And when he passed, uh, it was a sad day for all of us. Yeah, love that story. Favorite swear word? If you see Kay, tell her I love her. <laughs> okay. That was the way that back in the 80s you could say that word on radio and get away with it. Yeah, well, no, F-bombs are dropped on this show often. What are you grateful for today, Bruce? To be honest with you, um, you know, I am grateful that uh, people, uh, clients uh, uh, still appreciate me even though I'm 68. I think it's a mistake uh, in technology to throw everybody overboard at age 40. At age 40 in technology, they want you out the door, they get somebody cheaper. In pretty much every other industry, they look at you at age 50 and they push you out the door. And I think that is a mistake. You know, older people, and I'm getting there now, you know, maybe we can't text as fast as my kids when they're thumb texting, but we, as you get older, you make fewer mistakes, you have more patience, and you have more perspective. And that is a very valuable commodity. And I know young people, when they see me text, you know, and they text like this, they go, oh, my gosh, that's that's so old fashioned. But 
But, you know, that isn't the most important skill in the world, you know, how fast you can use your thumbs to text. Mm -hmm. And I tell young people that. I said, maybe there's some other things that you'll discover. And as they get to know me, they, they might come to realize that. So I think age bias either way is wrong. And I, I strongly believe that there are only two kinds of people on this planet, Patrick, good people and bad people. There are no, uh, you know, French people and, and, and English people and Greek people and Italian people and black people and white people and other colors and creeds. There's none of that to me. It's, are you a good person? Are you a trustable person? Or are you not? There are only two kinds of people. I concur. Well, I am grateful today to have had the opportunity to speak with you, to have you on the show, to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Rich Danby. I'm sure he says hi. And, Hi, Rich. and uh, I appreciate that uh, we were able to get this coordinated and make it happen. So thank you so much for your time. Very, very much appreciated. Well, thank you and to Rain for having me. It's been a, a wonderful conversation. I hope people will get something out of it. Uh, and I know I did. I learned a lot more about you, Patrick. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others. Share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener. If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.